0: Hello, everybody,
1: and welcome to Ad Nerdium to the point of nerdness. My name is Patrick Salerno, and with me today is Dr. Laura E. Gooden, author of the fantasy novel Mud and Glass, and academic co-editor of the peer-reviewed science fiction and fantasy research journal Fafner. How are you doing today, Laura? Good, thanks, Patrick. It's good to have you on all the way from Australia. This took a little bit of coordination, but I'm happy to have you here
0: well, it's a nice, it just turned afternoon here, and I'm sure it's night- nighttime there for you. In case any of you were wondering if the world is round, we have just proven it.
1: <laughs> well, here's hoping people still think that these days. Um, yes, it's been a nice fall day in uh, somewhat sunny Maryland. It is wonderful to have you on, and today we're talking about a very special uh, project, community uh, Nano Remo. Uh, would you mind describing that a little bit for all of us here? What is the basics of Nano NaNoWriMo?
0: Okay, I will start out by saying those of us who are deep within refer to it as NaNoWriMo because it's National Novel Writing Month. Okay, thank you. And it started, oh, decades ago around somebody's dining room table and it's grown into a movement of millions of people, hundreds of thousands of them active every year. And the object of the game is to write 50,000 words in a month. Now, there used to be a lot of rules about it. it has to be on a brand new project, it has to be a novel, it has to be this, it has to be that. They've loosened a whole lot of that up. If you say you're doing nanorimo, you are doing nanorimo, And the key function, the, 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 the core of nanorimo is its website and its forums, because it's a community of writers who are not concerned with the normal things that the publishing industry is concerned with. The the writer's experience level, status, genre that they're writing in, uh, skill, none of that matters. What matters is, are you taking joy in creating the written word? One of the things that fascinated me about NaNoWriMo,
1: uh, thank you again for that correction, is that idea of the community. I've heard about uh, this project before uh, and I had some friends that were doing it and, uh, you know, I heard them trying to get to that 50,000 word count, but I never really understood it and actually like what it was and what the scope of this pro- thing uh, could and is now. Would you mind talking a little bit about your own experience with it? How you kind of got started, what it's meant to you, uh, and how you've seen the community from your perspective grow over these years?
0: I'm going to go back and back and back to my high school days and my, actually my grade school days because I started writing writing stories when I was about seven. And all through high school, all through uni, all through college, the thing I was best at was the actual writing. And then I had to earn a living. And that takes a lot of time. And there were other things in my life that were also important. Uh, I was a women's self-defense and empowerment activist for a while, and that took a lot of time. And eventually, I got married. I had a kid. But when my kid was a, was a early teenager, I I ended up thinking, you know, I think it's time to get back to writing. Actually, she was a little bit younger than that. She was about 10. And one of the things I did when I got serious about writing was I had heard about NaNoWriMo, but I hadn't done it. What I then heard about was Script Frenzy, which is a program that they used to have running in parallel with it. And it was write a hundred page script in a month. And I did Script Frenzy, and that got me into NaNoWriMo because what I was enjoying was making that commitment to my own writing, Hmm. was deciding I'm going to get X done this month. And that, for a lot of writers, me included, can be an extremely powerful moment when it stops being the thing you'll get around to or the thing that everything else is more important than. You're actually making an effort and putting your writing at the top of the queue after all, Maslow's hierarchy of needs are satisfied. You have a place to live, you know, your family is safe. After that, then comes writing instead of all the other things. So NaNoWriMo is a, has for me been a fabulous lens to focus that for myself, putting writing at the top of the list. That's where its power comes from. That and the fact that everyone else who's doing NanoRiMo is doing the same thing. It's, it's been very affirming to me as a writer... To be part of this glorious, pointless effort. And there are a lot of people who, especially in years past, and especially professional writers, who got very miffed at the idea of NaNoWriMo. Oh, it's dilettantism. It's just people dabbling and they're just going to put more crap out into the world. And there's enough crap writing out in the world. I think that's appalling. I think if writing gives joy, it's worth doing. Whether you write for one or your friends or you get picked up and published. Um, The novel Mud and Glass that you mentioned started out as a NaNoWriMo novel. I blasted out 50,000 words on it and then finished it over the next three or four months. So it can happen, friends, that you can write something that other people would dismiss as dilettantism and just pushing stuff out there. Hmm. And it can get published and it can get very favorable reviews. Thank you very much. Go ahead and look it up. It's a fun book. (laughs)
1: I think something that you said that fascinates me is this idea of that, the glorious pointlessness of it all. When, when you look at stories as a whole, and this podcast is about stories and the power that they have over us, it's about the nerd culture, which in my mind, and I've defined this in other places before, but I haven't really said it out loud, is that to be a nerd is to be a lover of story, is that's what I've always mm. felt it to be. And all of the different expressions of what that story could be, whether it's through cosplay or you like building the props or you're into anime, you're all coming together to celebrate the story and the impact that it's having on you. So that I, idea of the, mm-hmm. the pointlessness of it all resonates in a way with me that's, that's really fascinating because it is both pointless but extremely powerful and impactful exactly. at the same time.
0: And the hitch is that the systems and the societal structures and the values that are embedded in those that we've all grown up breathing like air insist that if it doesn't earn a living, it's not valuable. It has to be monetized. It has to be commodified. People have to buy it or else it's not worth doing. How are you going to earn a living doing that? I mean, Patrick, you're an actor, aren't you? (laughs) Among other things, hopefully. An actor and a philosopher. I have I have a lot of
1: employment options. Just you wait.
0: Mm, exactly, um, but I have found that you can survive working in a warehouse packing books, which is what I did for a while, with nothing in common mm-hmm. with any of your coworkers and nothing going on that's at all stimulating. But you can go home and write. And I, in fact, I wrote the libretto to a short opera based on those months packing books in a warehouse. So for the writer, nothing is wasted. And no writing is wasted. I don't care how crap it is there There are people who get very dismissive of things like fanfic and when I was teaching writing in a university, uh they knew they couldn't submit fanfic, but one of them very hesitantly raised her hand and she said, well what do you think about fanfic?" And I said, "I'm all for it." I said, "I would absolutely love if someone would write fanfic about one of my one of my novels." Because that would mean that someone was engaging with it enough to take that story and bring their whole self to it. Bring their imagination, bring their, their drive, their hard work to get the words out, to get the words right. All of those are fabulous things. And I, if fanfic does that for someone, then crank it up. That's what I say.
1: Another point that, that you had mentioned that I also found fascinating was that idea of, like you mentioned, making a living. And in previous episodes of uh, this podcast, uh, we had a couple people on talking about cosplay and how that community, which started out as celebrations and just enjoyment, uh, and the convention scene, which again was purely for enjoyment and entertainment, became uh, over-marketed, selling thousands of extra tickets that, would stuff up the space beyond belief, hosting all sorts of annual competitions to make this hobby into what, for some people, can be a sustainable career, but for many people, not really. It's, it's, a, it's a hobby. And I'm fascinated by what you said about Nanorimo being a place where that doesn't happen that it's not about the marketing, it's about the fulfillment. Exactly. I'd love if you wouldn't mind elaborating on that a little bit more.
0: Every year in the forums, I come across people who are saying, oh, this is my first year, oh, I'm scared of writing crap, and immediately, immediately scores of warm and supportive well-wishers say, that doesn't matter, it's great you're here, we love that you're writing, that's... Something that you don't come across—you certainly very seldom come across it in America. Very much. Um, I remember when I when I moved to Australia, I had essentially just given birth, and I was—I had just, you know, weeks before, and I'd gotten out my skates. Now skating along the bike path, I had a break, and I went skating along the bike path, and I was kind of wobbly, and you know, still kind of not in my, not at my best after pregnancy and childbirth, and a couple of lycra clad thangs came swishing along whoosh whoosh and they looked fabulous and they were going great and i was going stagger 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 flail 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 and as they whooshed past me i one of them said you're doing great and my first instinct as an american was to bristle because i felt like they were mocking me Mm. but no australia one of the great benefits of australia is it's very much to a have-a-go mentality. Go on, have a go. Doesn't matter if you suck. Good on you for having a go. And that's something that's very hard to find in America. And NaNoWriMo is was originally an American phenomenon. Uh, the guy who started it, Chris Beatty, lived in the, li- still lives, I think, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And just the idea of not needing to compete or be better than can be so foreign to people and yet so incredibly freeing. That in and of itself is worth the 50,000 words, even if you never look at it again, I've, I've had a bunch of projects over the years that I've, I haven't even made my 50,000 words on, but the idea still remained that I was loving writing. This was my valentine to my own art. Mm. That is a fantastic
1: quote right there.
0: Thank you. <laughs> For the people who
1: don't know much about NaNoWriMo, um, you mentioned forums, how, how do those work, and how do you think they help with that idea of community building?
0: They're the core of the community because they it it's a discussion forum, a chat forum, in the way that a lot of people are familiar with, whereas you post a message, people post replies, there are topics and threads. And a number of the threads persist from year to year to year to year to year, gain their own subculture, gain their own uh, mythos, their own tropes, if you will, that develop within that thread. Mm-hmm and to feel like you belong and even if you just wander into a thread a few years on like i did with one of my favorite threads instantly to be accepted to have the jokes explained to be able to contribute to the jokes and have everybody say oh that was great that was funny and not freeze you out cuz you're not in the click that is 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 incredibly empowering to let you think well you know if you like me then you're not going to mock me for writing you're going to you're going to be okay with my writing because you like me and you like my writing. You like that I am writing. And sometimes people will post excerpts. Look at the scene I just wrote. And everyone goes, oh, that's great. I love that character. And they'll post synopses or little snippets of information or various things that they're excited about their own writing or someone else's writing. And the feeling of belonging makes you feel so much safer to just do your art. And one thing I've noticed about theater, which I've done some of, not I'm not believe I'm nobody's actor, but I'm a playwright and a director and a producer, and I've noticed that during the show, actors will kill and die for each other. Once the show is done, scattered to the four winds, you make new friends the next show. But during that time, that cast, that rehearsal space has to be a safe place for you, or you can't do your art. And it's the same with NaNoWriMo. it's a safe place. You to do your art. I certainly
1: do feel that when the when theater is at its best, it is a highly collaborative and communal art form. And it seems from what you've mentioned, what I know about mm-hmm. NaNoWriMo, that that is what NaNoWriMo gives to writers. And it sounds like NaNoWriMo is the internet at mm-hmm. its best.
0: It definitely is. And the thing is that most writers do happen to be introverts. I'm fairly gregarious, but actually i'm I function as an introvert. And a forum where you come and go as you like and you engage at exactly the level you're comfortable with and exactly the ways you're comfortable with is a fabulous way for introverted people to gain the benefits of community without the stresses of being pushed past what they can cope with. That's fascinating. I didn't think about it that way before. I ended, I I started out long before, well, I started out when I was your age and I'm old uh, (laughs) doing computer bulletin boards. So... I, 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 was, I grew up with this kind of online culture. Most of my best friends in the world I met online. So the, the, the ability to build relationships based on almost, it's almost like flying by instruments. You build up a picture of what the airplane is doing based on the dials you see in front of you. Mm. And you build up a picture of who your friends are in their reality based on the messages that you post and the interactions that you have.
1: That is a very interesting way of looking at it. Um, I, it's funny that you mentioned that, just a a side story. I have, um, and I'm probably going to edit this out. I'm just sharing something about my dad at this point, but I have chastised that man more times than I can count for breaking every internet safety rule imaginable. Um, you mentioned, I think you mentioned last time we chatted that you, you know, uh, Valerie, right? Yes. The first time that dad met Valerie was, florida at disneyland he they had met online they had never talked in mm-hmm. person before and he gave her the address to our hotel where him and his three children were oops
0: well i'm glad that and worked she out showed for up you.
1: <laughs> um, and yet every role every rule he's broken uh, same with uh clark and ashley too who i mentioned last time the first time i mm-hmm. met clark was when we went over to his house which apparently was the first time that Dad had actually met Clark in person, and we stayed in the spare room in their basement, technical, total real life strangers. so that uh that it thought it all worked out. it did, I guess if if you can say i'm I'm still here <laughs> anyway to to shift gears and to tie everything. Together, what it seems like everything is tying together with this idea of a supportive community, one that is spread out internationally, very diverse, uh, and is focused on the people rather than the product. It seems that NaNoWriMo is Mm -hmm. the democratization of writing.
0: Absolutely. It removes the locus of power from the large publishers and gives it to writers and readers. Now, this doesn't mean that more writers are earning a living. What it does mean is that four or five big companies are not controlling all of readers' access to writing and all of writers' access to readers. Now I can say, here are some links to some stories I've written, you might enjoy them. I don't have to wait for a big publisher to say, we'll publish an anthology, a a collection of your stories. Because there, there have always been only the tiniest possible sliver of authors who have made it to that point where the big publishers will take them. What things like Nanorimo do is they move that power, that exclusivity, that gatekeeping function, and I'll get back to gatekeeping in a minute, away from those big companies and out into a broader sense where I can control what I offer to you And you can go looking for things, you, the reader, can go looking for things that you want to read. And there's ways and ways and ways and ways and ways to find them. Now, gatekeeping isn't only from the publishers. Gatekeeping can also be from certain cliques or, I don't know what you'd call them, small exclusive groups of readers. For example, a few years ago, there was a huge controversy in the Hugo Awards because a small group of readers who were objecting to the increasing diversity and increasingly, well, science fiction has always been politically relevant and politically explicit, but they didn't like that. They figured now it's getting completely out of hand, and they found a way to game the Hugo nomination system so that only works that they approved of, as in, quote, the old fashioned good story, which meant stories about, you know, white guys, uh, that those stories by and about white guys, that those would be the ones nominated for Hugo Awards. The, the, the rules have been redone. The, you don't hear yeah. much about the, those groups anymore, and things are. If you look at this past year's Hugo nominations, it was incredibly diverse. It was fabulous. But there is oh, there's always going to be somebody trying to limit other people's access to art. Now that could be because they feel threatened when art becomes increasingly diverse. It could be because. They want to make money, and the more art proliferates, the less pent-up demand there is for what they're offering. But things like NanoRimo are deliberately disruptive of gatekeeping, of any kind of form of restriction on who gets to read or write what. And that I think is a fabulous model. I would I would love to see a universal basic income in all countries where you no matter what. You can live. Can you imagine what life would be like for artists if they knew they could live at some basic level? How much glorious art there would be in this world when we when we were not ruled by fear. Yeah. Fear of starvation, fear of not getting in with the right crowd, fear of not getting uh, money for our art. How much amazing art could there be? NaNoWriMo is a glimpse into that where people devote that time and devote that effort for no monetary gain whatsoever.
1: That's a tangent I think I want to I stay on for a second. Uh, I'm a senior right now, and in our conversations moving forward about careers in the arts, part of the thing that we're doing is we're interviewing a, alumni that are a few years older than us, and one of the motifs that seems stronger than ever is the starving artist is the idea and all of the people that we've interviewed in in Mm -hmm. my senior uh, seminar class all share that story of having to overwork themselves, of having to struggle, of being taken advantage of by the systems of power uh, and being exploited for their labor, Mm -hmm. exploited for their identity in certain situations. Um, And it was... A fascinating thing to see the industry that I love, the arts, the performing arts in particular, have such a systemic problem with actually allowing a survivability for their artists. And the culture that's created by that, I think, is really, really toxic.
0: It is. And my, my political ranting at this point, we'll now move on to that's deliberate. It is a deliberate effort by the structures of capitalism to keep artists away from power. And having a secure living is a form of power. And limiting someone's ability to make a living is a form of power. No, Patrick, you cannot be a full-time actor. You cannot audition and train and learn because you have to eat, because we will let you starve if you don't do with the jobs that we think are important and you watch star trek and you see this glorious vision of artists being able to be artists and being valued for their work and there's you can just go and ask for something and someone gives it to you because there's no money and everything Uh, unless you're in quarks bar in which case there's a there's a certain (laughs) currency of latinum going on there but on the whole it's a vision of a universal basic right to be a right to be alive, a right to be healthy, a right to be secure. And not having that right, which you in America don't have, and I in Australia as a permanent resident have to a much greater degree, but still not 100%, that right is what gives you the freedom to do art. And restrictions on your freedom to do art because you're not worthy, artists aren't worthy because they're not earning money. And that's kind of circular. They keep us from doing art at a level that would help, that would let us get to the kind of productivity and and proficiency that would let us survive on it. They keep us from doing that, and then they say we don't earn money. Well, I don't earn money because you're not letting me do my art. (laughs) It's only so many community productions of Pippin that you can be in, you know?
1: (laughs) It certainly seems very circular. Um, and it, it it is a trend across the board in the States, I think. And the arts are certainly not the only industry these days that are suffering from that. I mean, internships across the board for every entry-level mm-hmm. uh, discipline are suffering from that. And you would think with what we were talking about earlier, with this hyper-marketization of art, that mm-hmm. it's plastered everywhere. Come see the biggest hits, you know. There's... Practically before a global pandemic hit and wiped us all out, a convention a week. Mm-hmm. And they are selling art. Conventions yep. only do that. More than anything else, they do two things they provide a space for people to come together and a venue to sell mm-hmm. art, whether that is up and coming art that you're going to hear about at panels. Or whether that is the art in the artist alley, or the crafts in the actual exhibitors hall. Mm. It's all art and artisans' work.
0: I will say that in places like uh, World Fantasy Con and World Science Fiction Con, the emphasis is m- the emphasis is much less on that because they're not commercially run cons. They're volunteer run cons. They're fan cons, and the emphasis on it is on being able to establish connections with the people whose work you love. So that I think is also a disruption of the model of commercialization and monetization. Sure, when I'm there and I'm on a panel, I'll say buy my books. But the reason I'm there, and the reason everybody has and, and everybody on the panel has actually paid to be there. So it's not like uh, Comic Con where, you know, you pay an extra fifty bucks every time you want to go to the bathroom. So there are cons that that do disrupt that hyper-commercialization model, that are volunteer-run and fan-based rather than commercially run. So there's a dichotomy there between cons that model capitalism and cons that model disruption of capitalism. It seems, and I,
1: I don't know if the the nerds listening to this uh, feel the same way, it, it certainly feels that something is lost when you focus too much on the marketing. and. And that idea that you mention, um, it's mm-hmm. it's been a long time since I read it, but I'm I'm reminded a little bit of uh, Plato's Republic. He talks about the healthy city and the city with the fever, uh, mm-hmm. and that idea of you know going too far into greed and acquisition of money, uh, something along those lines. And that's the city with the fe- fever where you forget, you know, what it is you actually need and the necessities to live. Plato's idea of a good life. Now, don't get me wrong, every philosopher since Plato has tried to tell us why Plato was wrong. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if we should all take everything he says with, you know, uh, just blindly. But he, I, if I remember it correctly, does bring up a very good point that there gets to a point where it's, it's too much. And mm. I think there's a lot of industry That is really getting to that point where it's that greed, that acquisition that is driving people to host more and more unpaid internships, more and more apprenticeships that Mm. get you a hundred dollars a week and a crappy apartment with four people. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really know the answer. I don't think that's what this podcast is about, (laughs) finding the answer necessarily, but at least posing the questions and having that honest conversation about the, the power of these stories, the power of this culture that uh, we all find ourselves in, this nerd culture, and where it's going right, where it's going wrong, what is it doing to us and what we can do to it. Um,
0: and that's, that's exactly the, the, the point of, it's that intersection of nerds and society, of story and uh, the inward and the outward reality of story and when nerds engage with popular culture when nerds model a new way of of society for example the first time i saw uh, pronouns on a name badge was at a mm. science fiction convention and it was years ago much earlier than it happened, much than it happened in broader society when that happens when writers and other nerds are engaging with society that is when we don't just write the story we are the story
1: that is that is a fascinating quote and one that I think really exemplifies this conversation that we're having today that ownership of the story that you mentioned with NaNoWriMo uh, having that control um, and having that community to support you and it, it is fascinating what you say because the nerd community I think has a problem with gatekeeping just like everywhere else does and the gatekeepers still exist even now even though mm-hmm. even after shall we say the floodgates are open the gatekeepers are still there <laughs> but nerd culture being that place that where you can find as you mentioned all of those different communities the people who are struggling in the same ways that you are, or the people that are fascinated by the same things that you are. When Mm -hmm. you find that space and you find that acceptance and you're longing for that acceptance, I think it does become a lot easier to accept others. And it's that interesting triad of Mm -hmm. there's pop culture, society, nerd culture. And even though that there's the gatekeepers that are still there, the floodgates do open earlier for us before they open up for everybody else, most of the time, not all the time. And this is not saying that there are not toxic parts of nerd culture that still exist today. I think there's a lot that we can do to be better uh, as a community, Mm. as a whole. But to bring everything back, Mm -hmm. um, NaNoWriMo, for those who are new to it or want to get involved... What do you recommend they do?
0: The first thing to do is to clean up your desk, get some food in the freezer, tell your family this is what you're going to do, then go to nanorimo.org, N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O.org and create a user account. And then go to the forums and start looking around and seeing threads that look interesting to you. Jump in, start reading, start posting. And come November 1 or midnight on Halloween, wait for that clock to tick over to November 1st and start writing. That's it.
1: It's that simple, folks. (laughs) So I think that is where we will end it for today. Uh, Laura, where can people find you if they want to read more about your work, get to know you a bit more, uh, or maybe buy one of your books?
0: Well, the website is www.lauraegodin. L A U R A E G O O D I N. com. It's like trying to remember your own phone number. How often do you phone yourself?
1: That will be <laughs> in the description, folks. <laughs> no, I totally get that. Thank you, everybody, for watching this episode of Ad Nerdium. As always, I'm Patrick. And I'm Laura. Signing off. Live long and prosper.
0: Peace and long life.
1: (laughs) Thank (laughs) you for watching this episode of Adnerdium, brought to you by Radio Free George. Be sure to subscribe to the Radio Free George SoundCloud and Spotify for the latest episodes. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at AdnerdiumPod for all the latest updates on Adnerdium shows and news. Submit questions for our next stasis chamber at nerdy and pod at gmail.com.